everyone and welcome to this month's ELT CPD podcast. This is the third and final episode in a mini-series on diversity and inclusion. In our first episode, we spoke to Laura Broadbent about the neurodiversity of learners in our classroom and things we can implement in our course materials to make them more inclusive. We then spoke to James Warwick, who works in-house at Pearson as a digital product manager, and he also was instrumental in writing the race and ethnicity guidelines, which are due to be released. So today on the show, we have the founders of Ideal Plus, a new organisation made up of Liz, Lottie and Peter, who are aiming to change the landscape of VLT by providing in-house inclusion training, content auditing and reviewing, among other things. So welcome to the show, guys. Now, let's start with Peter. So if you could tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are and what you do. So my name is Peter Fulliger and I've been involved in ELT for about 20 years now. Um, 17 of those, I was a teacher, so both in the UK and abroad, mainly in Japan and Russia. Certainly quite different experiences, I would say. Um, I taught a whole range from young learners to business to exams, IELTS and most of the examinations that you can find. And my teaching career kind of culminated in being head of department of a private college in London. Um, And then after that kind of finished, it wasn't my choice to finish, but it finished and I decided to try and retrain to go into publishing, into editing and writing. And I've been freelance for about three years now and I mainly work on assessments and exams. So both writing and editing. And with diversity, it's it's something that I feel I've come late to. Yeah. Being part of the LGBTQIA plus community, mm-hmm. I always knew during my teaching career that something was missing yeah. from the materials that I was teaching from. Mm-hmm. And so it's always been in the back of my mind but I think possibly it's the confidence to try and do something about it. And I feel that my voice is, has changed to try and be fully inclusive, not just of my community, but of all the communities that have been marginalized. Definitely. And, And what was your experience of teaching in Russia? I mean, were you able to touch on sort of LGBTQ plus issues or not at all? Absolutely not. And Japan? No. Japan Japan was very much a conservative society at the time. I mean, mm-hmm. this was, oh goodness, it was almost 20 years ago now that I was in Japan. Yeah. It was I mean, being gay or being part of the LGBTQ community wasn't, I hate the word, but it wasn't really advertised. Mm-hmm. It wasn't... Um, it wasn't really talked about, but it was there. Okay. It wasn't seen as something negative. Yeah. Whereas in Russia, I felt I did have to kind of hide, mm-hmm. which was really difficult. And then I thought, well, if I have to do this as a teacher of English, why should students who are studying English feel that they need to hide as well? Mm-hmm. Because it's who they are. Nobody should be stopped from expressing who they are. Liz, if you could introduce yourself. 
Hi, I'm Liz Makeru and I lead a parallel life with Peter. I too have been in ELT for well over 20 years. Um, I graduated, I left university in 93 and that's when it all started and I haven't really done anything else apart from ELT. Like Peter, I taught abroad for over 17 years. Most of that was in Portugal, but I also taught in Japan and in Italy and also in the UK. I went, I became a freelance consultant 10 years ago now, it's coming up to 10 years. So previous to this, I worked um, in assessment at Cambridge Assessment. Okay. So I used to be an English language teacher and an English language examiner, and I used to prepare my students for those Cambridge exams. And then I went full circle into actually working behind the scenes and knowing how those exams are put together. Mm. And that was quite interesting to get the full gamut of experience and then when I left assessment I became a freelance consultant and since then I'm I write but mostly social media content and I also edit I content develop and I edit I also project manage and I am involved in some recruitment of test writers and editors Mm -hmm. as with Peter I've come to DNI quite late in life yeah so increasingly I've become frustrated by the industry in that here we are attempting to better people's lives, saying that learning English is life-changing, and it is. It opens the doors to so many people, and yet here we are producing the materials that are opening the doors to so many people, but those people are not represented at all in the materials that we're producing or the exams that we're writing. And I have found that so incredibly frustrating over the years, especially recently, and as an editor and as a writer, I have tried to introduce little tiny, tiny changes. Yeah. And the pushback has been quite something sometimes. And I just felt, as with Peter, and you'll hear from Lottie, that, you know, things just needed to change. And so I did the course, and that's when I met Peter and Lottie, and realized that there are strength in numbers, really. And, that you know, one voice, me trying to implement tiny changes Mm -hmm. is one thing and the pushback just means that it's an uphill struggle and hopefully when you've got two voices and people in the same industry that people will start listening far more definitely it's really good that you're in the recruitment of writers and editors and things like that because we basically need to hire writers and editors from different countries and international backgrounds but how can you as a recruiter find that out without explicitly asking well, in terms of what I have been doing in terms of recruitment, that has been for um, a company. Mm. And you just find that actually you're recruiting from an echo chamber. Yeah. And because the ELT industry is so small, mm. I know it's fast, but it's also quite small in terms yeah. of the pool, the pool of people who work um, in the industry, and that you find that you're recruiting or people are finding out about you and asking to join a writing team. But we're all coming, and I include myself in that yeah. to some extent, from a similar background. Yeah. And so at the moment, that's what that's the other thing that I find really frustrating and I feel that needs a complete overhaul yeah. is this whole recruitment process. And I haven't really been involved in a major project to enable that, but yeah. hopefully things are changing. And Lottie, what about you? Okay, so my name's Lottie. Um, I've been working in ELT for about 22 years, first as a teacher, and then I moved into publishing. Um, I was always interested in creating my own materials. 
And that's kind of what drew me into publishing. But um, for me as a, and I think this is part of the problem, for me as a teacher, I had no idea how to get into materials writing. Yeah. It just seemed completely inaccessible to me. And so the logical route for me was to then sort of get a job with a publisher. Okay. And I worked for OUP in-house. And then I went freelance about eight, nine years ago. Um, and I've been working as an editor, a little bit of writing here or there, um, not as much as I would like. And one of the things I do kind of writing kind of adaptation is um taking standard textbooks materials and tests and making them dyslexia friendly so would you say that would be your specialism within sort of um your group ideal plus would you be it's more... something i'm interested yeah. in yeah and, and something i'm sort of like building my knowledge of i've done um a great course with um future learn mm-hmm. um on dyslexia and elt um and i'm doing another one now with ELT well on um, neurodiversity and ELT. Perfect. So we've been speaking about the topic of diversity and inclusion, but we haven't actually broken down what it means and what it encompasses. So how would you define it? I think it's a very all-encompassing phrase. Mm -hmm. And I know that it might not actually be the best phrase to use, but it's the one that we've got. Mm -hmm. I know talking with uh, Lottie and Liz earlier, um, Lottie, you might want to jump in on this, the the phrases might not do justice. Mm -hmm. I don't know, like diversity isn't quite right in itself. If you stick lots of diversity into a student book, it doesn't create an inclusive textbook. Um, And I think if you use the word inclusive, it kind of centres some kind of norm. So for me, both terms are problematic, but I haven't come up with a better term yet. And when when I think about inclusivity, for me, it's about showing society or representing society, people in society, as the full fabric mm-hmm. of society. Mm-hmm. If we're expecting, if I, if I think about ELT, if we're expecting learners to learn English from textbooks, then surely it needs to be fully representative of people that they will encounter or people that they know in in their past, for example. Research has shown that better learning happens when students are motivated and students are motivated when they see themselves reflected in the materials that they're using. So it's it's a no-brainer, really, but it seems to be a no-brainer that the ELT industry hasn't quite clocked onto. So if that's the case, why do you think there has been such a struggle or a pushback? Do you think it's because maybe individual countries have different perceptions or different ideas or what's culturally acceptable? I think what has happened is in the industry, and let's talk about publishing and assessment, but publishing, it's an industry that has tried to be one size fits all Mm -hmm. in terms of ELT teaching and materials production. So they're viewing the whole global market as one and they can't do that. So they have been producing materials and I know they have, depending on a bespoke client, if a client comes from you from a certain country and they want a, a specific product, then that product will be representative of that market. But on the whole, they try to make it very generic Uh, a one-size-fits-all, and if you're going to do a one-size-fits-all, you're not going to fit everybody, and it's not 
going to be possible to reflect everybody because it's not allowed in some countries and I think there has to be a complete shift there has to be a complete business model shift in terms mm -hmm. of the businesses uh, the publishers and assessment there just has to be a massive shift for anything to to change no I mean I completely agree with what Liz is saying um, and I also think you know there's there's a fear there and perhaps part of that fear is is financially motivated or there's a fear of change because really to create the kind of materials that are properly inclusive, we need to reimagine publishing processes. So you need to build in time to research. You need to build in time to talk to people with lived experience. You need to build in time to have artwork briefs reviewed and all of that, that's change. And no business wants to change something that's working in inverted commas if they don't have to, because it's gonna, it's gonna cost money. Um, and any sort of, you know, systematic changes is there's an upheaval within the company as well and do you think the change would start with the content creation itself or do you think it might start with the publisher liz from experience since we've started on our ideal plus journey from experience it feels like they're starting with the content because let's be honest and also acknowledge it's a massive task, this whole thing of overhauling the whole industry and changing things. It's huge. It's humongous. It's not going to happen overnight. So the best way to start is with small steps. Mm -hmm. And the easiest first steps to take is with the content. And I fear, and this is a genuine fear, that by dealing with the content, publishers and assessment boards are thinking that they're dealing with diversity and inclusion and that they're they're doing the right thing but actually it's not just the content you're looking it has it's the whole gamut of mm -hmm. the way a, a product is produced from the the content and the writing of the content but all the way to, through to designers and recording studios and in-house teams yeah change yes it's the content but that's just a tiny drop in the ocean definitely and i think maybe publishing companies have to look at their own team and their own leadership and look mm -hmm. at the diversity in that as well because how can content be created representative if it's not representative of where it's actually coming from the idea itself essentially as well Liz you said yeah, that you'd um had I'm not sure whether you're referring to yourself or whether content creation in general but I think you mentioned at the beginning maybe there's been some pushback once or twice if you tried to suggest something just very very recently I had some very, very problematic editorial feedback from an in-house team. And it was highly problematic. It caused offence. And for the first time ever, I actually had to send an email and say, this is not acceptable. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, I just, I refused. Can you please? I know it's not coming from a bad place, but can you please, please review the language you use when providing feedback? Yeah. Because words carry meaning and they have a huge impact and so yeah what you were saying Billy is absolutely right we have to it's not just us externals that you know the onus is not just on us it's on in-house teams as well they also need the training but I think yeah we do need this massive overhaul you know um, that does need to happen and it needs to happen publishing teams it needs to happen with recruitment it needs to happen with the freelancers that people use, like this suggested, artists, designers, studios, processes. But also, I mean, I think the small steps count. 
um, I think when you look at it as an enormous, huge problem, then it can seem very hard to overcome. Mm -hmm. And all of the editors and all of the writers who are pushing and making tiny changes, you know, pushing for the tiny changes in their materials, it will add up. And I think that kind of pressure needs to come from the bottom, you know, maybe to, to kind of create that kind of systematic change that needs to happen. I completely agree, actually. And, and as both Lottie and Liz have been saying, it is such a massive task to do. And not only in the ERT industry, this needs to be a, a societal change. It needs to come from all aspects of, of current society. And for me, it's really, and I'm sure for so many other people as well, for me, it's just so disappointing to see that governments and people of influence are still perpetuating sexist language or sexist ideals or homophobic ideals and things like this and transphobia at the moment is particularly mm -hmm. of note and I feel that it is certainly an uphill struggle for one industry such as ELT to easily make these changes however I think that as we've said before small steps can lead to a much larger change and I think it's the perseverance and the it's almost like a, a group mentality of people working together to build a snowball effect mm -hmm. so that it not just only infiltrates the ELT industry, but infiltrates the publishing industry and then into media and then into wider society. But something desperately needs to happen. I was going to say that I have to give assessment boards and publishers their dues because the conversations that we've been having at Ideal Pass with people, with organisations, you can see that there are people in those organisations that also feel like us, that there needs to be a change and they, they feel the frustration and they're, they're really trying and it is a humongous task and so yes, they have to start with small steps and you know, that's what we're here for is to help people understand what those small steps are and perhaps put it into phases and what have you. But I have to emphasize that they are aware of it and they want to. But can I also say that it is also a, a huge opportunity for them, mm -hmm. a huge opportunity for them. There is a market out there that has not been tapped into before. And so without meaning to sound too mercenary, yes, they are on board because they really want to make a difference, but also it is a business opportunity too. And we have to ride with that and we have to make the most of that as well. Can you tell me a little bit more about Ideal Plus and why you set it up and what your goals and aims are for the organisation? I think our tagline, he says it all, and I think Liz came up with this, um, to transform the ELT landscape. Nice. Um, I think because of our diversity training that we've had, um, a wonderful course run by Beth Cox. Mm -hmm. I think that really fueled our commitment to making change. Yeah. And I think we, we kind of, as Liz said earlier, it's uh, more than one voice is not necessarily easier, but it's louder to make a change. And so I think by looking at 
um, different ways of implementing um, these small steps is how we want to, to try and change the landscape. So what sorts of things will you be doing or are you doing already? Um, we're literally like, we're not even a month old, are we? I would say that we would aim to look at yeah. guidelines, yes. to analyse guidelines and possibly even policies. Okay. And training as well. We're also looking at um, developing training days and for particular products. So it's it ranges from looking at overarching guidelines to maybe just looking at guidelines for a particular product for a client, giving advice on on how to approach artwork briefs, for example, or um, giving some input in wherever a client feels they need more help in, or even if they don't know where they need the help, to help guide them mm -hmm. in, in the main points that they need to, to focus on. I think a lot of it as well is about confidence. Mm -hmm. um, I think from the conversations we've had, there is the need for this type of change to happen. But I think a lot of people are doubtful of their ability to, mm -hmm. to make the change or to, because mm -hmm. I think people are worried about making mistakes. Yeah, of course. But because it's so new and because it's coming in into a, an already established industry, we're all still learning, I think, people, especially in, in publishers, they, they are trying their best to be diverse and inclusive. But I think that there is the, the fear of doing something wrong. So you've mentioned materials writing, um, and I think one of the challenges in materials writing specifically to try and for international markets is trying to get in sort of LGBTQ plus families. How can materials writers sort of consider that? How can they be prepared for any sort of pushback? Um, and have you come across any successful LGBTQ plus materials yourself that you've used or seen? I, starting with the last question, I personally haven't seen anything with the exception of Razor. Okay. And I know that Tyson um, Seaborn produced a mock-up of the first unit, which is available on his website. Mm -hmm. um, I know anecdotally from Facebook, from various groups, that people are having small successes. And you see people posting, you know, oh, I managed to, to get this in today. So I think there are small, small, small incremental changes happening. As a member of the LGBTQIA plus community, I have to accept that we are probably going to be the very last to be included or to be seen in ELT materials. It pains me to say that, but I accept it. Actually, no, I don't accept it. I just know that it is. Yeah. It shouldn't be, absolutely not. But I just know that it is. And as I said before, unless these organisations change their idea of who the market, the market is then it's always going to be like that for a very long time to come. In terms of the course that we did with Beth Cox, hers was focusing inclusion in publishing and especially looking at children's books. And it's, it's quite, it's much easier to start introducing, you know, you can have a little story about a child and you can have, oh, look, she's got two mums. In ELT, it's much more difficult to do that because we don't, you know, our, our course books and our exams aren't based on storytelling. A lot of the texts are factual. 
you're not going to be able to make those tiny changes, I don't think. It pains me because I have children and my children will never see themselves represented in these materials. As, as part of the community myself, I think it is a massive shame that learners, for example, learners who maybe are even questioning themselves, can't see themselves potentially represented in books, yeah. especially in the ELT classroom. And this kind of brings me back to a, a moment in my teaching career when I did, I did have to kind of come out to a group of students in a class because they were, and I got some really good support from my management, is because they were, um, the students in the class were not using the kind of language to describe gay people that I would want them to. Yeah. So after a conversation with management, they said, well, it's up to you to um, say something or not. And I did. And their reactions were priceless, really. They, I mean, a lot of them apologised. I don't think they needed to apologise because they haven't necessarily been exposed to, uh, as far as they know, mm -hmm. they haven't been exposed to people who have felt the confidence to be open. And following that, I had a student from that class asked to have a, a quick meeting with me. Yeah. And he came out to me. Wow. I think purely because of what I did in the class. Definitely. And I think that if we are to support uh, young people into discovering who they are and to discover that the world isn't such a scary place to be yourself, then why shouldn't this be in ELT materials? And there are ways in which we can incorporate or include, incorporates the wrong word, to include LGBTQIA plus lives in materials, even if it's, as Liz said, if it's just an incidence it shouldn't necessarily be focused on because that would turn out to be too tokenistic. Mm -hmm. You don't want to have a text in uh, an ELT book that says, this person's gay. It should not be the focus. Yeah. Because we want to oh, usualize. Yeah. We want and how awful and how difficult their lives are because they're gay. Mm. You know, it's, it's never a success story. It's never yeah. something positive. It's not just like, you know, John went for a coffee with his boyfriend. It's yeah. no John exactly. went for a coffee with his boyfriend and got beaten up. It's mm. frustrating. To me, I mean, Peter's story is exactly why we need to have inclusive materials. Just to see yourself. I mean, it's, it's silly, but even if you're you read a magazine and, and you notice um, a story about someone who's had a similar life to you or does some quirky, weird little thing that you do. You go, oh, okay, I'm not such a weirdo, you know? And imagine the effect of creating really inclusive materials where students can see themselves and feel, you know, like Peter said, that the world is not a scary place, but also these materials, I, I belong to these materials. These materials belong to me, they're relevant to me. I want to use them. The other thing I was going to say is, if there were those inclusive materials, students would be learning the right words. Exactly. And maybe that whole situation wouldn't have occurred in the first place. Exactly. If students aren't taught this language, how are they supposed to know? As you said, Lottie, if the students don't know, they can't be corrected, you know, and then the landscape can't change among students' thoughts and mindsets either. 
Thinking about disabilities in course books, I think when we're talking about creating inclusive materials and referring to disabilities, people might just think, I hate to say it, but shoehorning sort of someone in a wheelchair in there might be enough. How can we create more inclusive materials considering people with disabilities as well without doing sort of what Liz said, just making out as if it's a hardship all the time? Are there any tips or advice you give? Actually, when I was working on a, a previous project, I had the, the same idea about how can I include a disability mm-hmm. without it being kind of almost thrust in your face to make it not tokenistic. And I think images are certainly um, a good way to to try to be inclusive or even drawings, for example. So I was working on a, um, oh, the lovely map task in IELTS, <laughs> um, which I'm sure we're all familiar with and love. <laughs> and one way to be inclusive of a wider range of people with disabilities was to show an image of a hearing loop, for example. Mm -hmm. It could be just stuck on the wall in the image. It doesn't necessarily have to be pointed out. It doesn't necessarily have to be focused on, but it's there. It's included. So it's seen as usual. Another thing that I have done is to include um, accessible toilets, for example, instead of just saying toilets. I think I might need a little bit of help because I can't remember if accessible toilets or disabled toilets is the correct term. I Honestly, I would know off the top of my head, but again, you can't be expected to remember everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is something that puts people off actually ah i don't know the right word well don't worry if you don't know the right word you can't know everything contact a charity and find out what the right word is so maybe we should contact a charity and find out what the right word is yes and also we we are as ideal plus putting together a glossary of terms that we can start perfect sharing with people too um also the the one thing that really surprised me on the course that we took and i am rubbish at remembering stats but i know that it was a very low number of the percentage of people who who are disabled and in a wheelchair is really small in comparison to the whole gamut of disabilities out there and and so it's not enough to just put somebody in a in a wheelchair and in fact it's not representative just to put somebody in a wheelchair There are so many other ways to do it. It's about like integrating those details that Peter's talked about into the background of images. But it's also about looking at the whole person. You know, when you're when you're talking about a disabled person, you're looking at the person first. You're not looking at the disability. And you don't want to make that disability. I mean, we've talked about inspiration porn. You don't want to make that disability the focus of the article, something that they're getting over in order to achieve something wonderful. You know, we're just we're just talking about a person. So I think probably that's key. The other thing I would say is, yeah, just to make sure that there's a consistent coverage across a, a book and across a course so that you don't go, OK, tick. We've got three images in that book, three images in that book, three in, images in that book job done you know you need to plan these things in advance you need to look at where you're going to be inclusive across the whole 
book across the whole course. And just thinking about, sorry, thinking about an exams, for example, the YL, <laughs> for example, the Cambridge YL exams, the starters, movers, flyers, assessment there is very based on all the visuals. The graphic artwork is 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 fundamental to those tests. And in the past, I know that, you know, they're introducing a child in a wheelchair, for example, but we could do other things. There are so many other ways to show a disabled person in the artwork in tests as well, for example. And I think there are, you know, just looking at other opportunities across the book to include people. So for example, in lots of um, team materials, which is what I predominantly work on, you always have, you, you quite often have a photo story running through, or mm -hmm. you quite often have like a practical English. I mean, you have that in adult books as well, like a recurring characters. And that's a great place to actually really build a whole person through the book in a way that you can't do when you just have a text because it's you know it's one text you read it you're done but with those kinds of things you can subtly build entire people with personalities and backstories and lives so it's looking for little opportunities like that actually um alexandra popovsky had a she had a really interesting idea which was to reuse the same characters yeah. through listening activities mm -hmm. and that way you're really building a whole person rather than these kind of discrete people that pop up and then disappear and are apparently, you know, um, inclusive because they've got a foreign name. Um, it's a much better idea, I think, to build that personality, that mm -hmm. whole person through the book. Absolutely. So apart from Ideal Plus, have you got any ideas for any further reading or any courses or webinars that you've seen advertised that might be useful for freelancers to read up a bit more on diversity and inclusion? For me, charities are um, an excellent resource of things to look at regarding a, a whole wide range of, of different features of society, really. Um, I can think of Stonewall, for example, they have learning materials. I can think of uh, the LGBT Foundation, for example. But then also looking at MemCap, for example, mm. places that look at maybe invisible or I hate that word invisible but hidden disabilities so especially with neurodiversity looking at autism um, websites there are always things out there for people to find and with our resource list hopefully we can bring together a, almost a one-stop shop for mm -hmm. people to come and find something that might be able to help them perfect yeah, there's loads out there. And I I think, again, it's this it, diversity and inclusion seems really scary. You know, when you're on the outside, it can seem like, you know, you can feel like you don't know where to start. And so I would say start with small steps, you know, follow people on LinkedIn. That's a great way to kind of build up a network um, and build up knowledge because you'll see a post and you'll think, oh, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. And you'll follow it and read about it and find out about something else. Um, that's what I've done, yeah. Like webinars um, are great. You're very welcome to join the Reflecting Realities Facebook group. Yeah, we, we do lots of interesting things on there. For example, um, there's lots of different posts from members of the group. And we also have talks from experts in the industry who, for example, this week we've got um, Tyson Seaburn talking to us about utilisation and disruption um, in ELT materials. And it's just a really nice community, I think. It's a really nice place for people who aren't quite sure what they're doing yeah. or people who are experts to share knowledge. 
I think it's also important to say that um, if people are looking for resources, they don't have to look within the ELT industry. Mm. There are so many books and groups out there that are trying to work towards the same goal of, of being inclusive. Um, there are some, uh, I think June Sarpong, for example, mm, yeah. she's got a couple of lovely books on racism and trying to eliminate racism. Uh, and so I think for anyone who wants to learn more about diversity inclusion, apart from contacting us, of course, it's to not limit yourself to the ELT industry because there are so many things that can be incorporated into our industry from outside. So do you guys have any top tips for writers and editors in order to make their materials more inclusive? So, I mean, we, we've said it before, but diversify your team, check your content with people with lived experience. But also, I think at the start, like um, on the course we did with Beth, one of the great things we did was defining your own normal. That's a really great place to start, like to have a look at your own normal and have a look at the normal in ELT books. Like what is that saying to the students that, that are using the books? And before you start a text, question your own biases about that subject and think about maybe ways of doing it differently. When, when you say measure your own normal and assess your own normal, what sort of things should someone consider and how... It's almost an impossible question, but how can someone sort of go out of their own mindset and consider it from an unbiased point of view, do you think? It's hard. I, I think a really good starting point is just to think about where you have bias. And I started, so we, we had to make a list of, of what our biases were. And I started my list and then I added more to the list and then I added more to the list. And then I just sort of started feeling completely horrified with myself. Mm -hmm. But that whole process of actually writing them down immediately made me start questioning them. So if I saw a person in the street who fitted that bias, I thought, why did I think that? You know, and it's just like gently, gently, gently changing your um, your perceptions about things. Like, listen, people are saying reading. Like, I started reading lots around anti-racism this summer and my head just went, <sighs> of course. And I think just reading and trying to hear, listen to authentic voices of other people on a human level touches you and and you can empathize so I think it's just it's just about learning learning and questioning yourself I feel that our industry is very homogenous in-house teams are very homogenous and very monochrome and there's going to be a lot of very uncomfortable people who want to do good and who want to do right but who are going to be challenged to think in a different way and challenge to be thinking in a different way makes you sit in a lot of discomfort. And I talk from experience too, because as Lottie has said, we all have our unconscious biases or some of them might be conscious, I don't know. But it involves sitting and accepting a lot of things. I might be a member of the LGBTQIA plus community, but I also am white and I sit in a lot of privilege. And it's just accepting that. And I think that is the greatest pushback is people immediately get defensive and go, I'm trying my best, you're attacking me. Yeah. I think words play a really huge part in this, both in the people who are training and also in the people who are being trained. I don't know what I'm actually advising. I'm just advising kindness, I feel, on the parts of trainers, but also on the people in the receiving the training to just remember that this is for a really good reason 
there's a reason we're doing this. And it's because we have been sitting in privilege for a very, very long time. And there are lots of marginalized groups and our test takers and our learners who are children. You know, some of them are children. And if we want to give them the best start in life, we need to be representing them. And I think we need to bear that in mind before we get too defensive about things. My little advice would be um, for editors and writers to think, how would I like to be represented? How would I like to see myself in an ELT textbook? And then to think, well, if I want to include an LGBTQI plus person, or if I want to include a person of this ethnicity, or if I want to include a person, um, a disabled person, is that the one thing that I would want to be defined by? Mm. So why should it be in an ELT textbook with that particular focus? So for me, my, my suggestion would be have a think about all the different facets of you as a person. They make up every single part of you. And so there shouldn't necessarily be one. There's not a single story for everyone. And there's not a single story for any particular country. And we need to be aware of, of not focusing on stereotypes because stereotypes in themselves can be extremely harmful and also send the wrong message. So I think about self-representation and then to try to apply that by talking to people with lived experience and then to see what you can build from that. So yeah, thank you all so much because I can feel your passion. I, I wish we were all in the same room because... With I, a glass of wine? I know, I know. <laughs> I, can, I can feel your passion and I know that Ideal Plus are going to do so, so much for ELT because even reflecting realities itself has started a conversation and Peter, the list that you started and Liz, all the posts that you make on LinkedIn everyone is responding to it you know and that's the most important thing and I think I think it's really crucial that people know that they they need to ask questions and they might make mistakes in what they're saying but you can only learn from those mistakes you know and further reading and just having a conversation about it is really really important so thank you so much for sharing your ideas and stories as well I think thank you as well for for allowing us to come on and talk I just wanted yeah. to say, Billy, thank you so much for giving us this voice as well, allowing us our voice, because um, I know we're putting stuff out there on social media, but we are not a month old. And so we haven't actually said very much. So thank you for allowing us the space to, to put ourselves across. Thank you so much for having us. No, thank you for coming on. I was really, really excited to speak to you all today. And you'd like to come on again and have a chat. That would be great. Well, Bye, everyone. Thank you. Thanks so much to Liz, Lottie and Peter of Ideal Plus for coming on the show today. We'll be getting a list of all the organisations, books and training courses they mentioned, as well as our previous guests, so you can further research diversity and inclusion and how to make your materials or author pools more inclusive. So that was the last episode in our mini-series on diversity and inclusion, and next we'll be moving on to the first episode in our next mini-series, on how to go from being an ELT teacher to a materials writer. We'll first be looking at how teachers can get paid for creating their own materials and then moving on to how to get commissioned by a publisher and things to know when you're starting out. Finally, we'll end with a panel discussion with successful freelancers who have made the jump from full-time ELT teaching to writing. Thanks once again for listening and see you next time.
Bye.